Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another one of these incredible conversations that I'm bringing to my YouTube channel to help us all just find out more about the complexities of the topics that we talk about on these channels. Now, today I have a guest called Emily Setti, and I noticed one of her posts on LinkedIn that where she was speaking at a conference um, that looked super interesting. So I contacted her and she has um, very kindly decide, uh, let, let us have a chat with her to find out more about her work and what she's found out in doing so. So hi, Emily, please, could you just briefly introduce yourself and what you do? Hi, yeah. Hi, Jeremy and everyone. Um, thank you for having me. It's absolutely my um, pleasure to be here. So, yeah, I am a lecturer at university, a university lecturer, and I do research um, typically with young people about issues connected to sex and relationships, you know, the challenges they're facing, what they're getting up to. And um, yeah, some of the problems, I suppose, that arise for them and how how best to kind of deal with that um, from a sort of educational parenting socialization perspective, really in a very brief nutshell I'm sure we'll talk more about it yeah absolutely so um how did you get into that work by the way yeah so I started um so I started my PhD in 2014 and that was looking at well what we all called sexting at that time so okay. young people you know I know no one uses the word sexting um <laughs> not young people anyway um, but uh but yeah it was looking at that in terms of young people sharing images and stuff with each other online and um the way in which that was all being criminalized and responded to in a very sort of punitive um abstinence-based sex ed kind of way and yeah so I started looking at young people's perspectives on that and their experiences and then that sort of then just led me into more broadly looking at yeah how they're developing and existing as young people in this mm. in this current landscape yeah right. Which, these sorts of topics. right which which I'm sure I mean for for the adults um looking at the younger generations I feel like everybody's very fearful of of what's going on and the power of the mobile phone and the cultures that it's um, the cultures that it started, right? So um, I got my first mobile phone when I was 12 years old. No, it wasn't a smartphone then. It was just, you know, text message. It wasn't even color, right? So it was like the very basic first mobile phone. And then I remember the phone started coming out, which you could take a picture, had a camera on it, and then you could start sending a picture. Now, so let's say by the time I'm 18 or 20 or 21, that kind of age, um, sending pictures or sharing sharing pictures of yourself and receiving pictures of other people was quite the norm. You, you, at that age, you're not thinking about the consequences of it. You're not, definitely not thinking about the law um, or, or the rules or what implications it could have of sending a nude picture of yourself. So it's just like culture. Mm. Now, very interestingly, um, last year, I was working for a charity Um local charity to me I was doing some part-time work for them on social media and I wanted to open the conversation around sharing nudes and they weren't allowed to actually speak about that because they said we can't talk to our target audience which is under 18s we can't talk to them about sharing nudes because sharing nudes is against the law if you're mm. under 18s is that correct yeah well yeah so it's it's that any imagery of an under 18 cannot be captured and stored and distributed right so like if you're say, a 16 year old taking a picture of yourself well you're producing an illicit image of a child if you're a 25 year old 
receiving that image and sharing it around, then you're dealing, you're breaking the law because wow. it's an illicit image of a child. So, so it's whoever's in that image. You also can't send imagery to under 18s because that's around, you know, the, the law around exposing young people to sexually explicit imagery and grooming and all of that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, it's perfectly the case that, I don't know, yeah, a couple of 15 year olds, as you say, totally normalized, flirting in the digital age. It's, right. it's, kids want to do right but that would technically be against the law not because there's a specific law against young people showing nudes it's because of the the old sort of what we call child pornography stuff right Mm. for as problematic as that terminology is Mm. but you know that's the law that's sort of capturing this problem as it were yeah okay i mean but no one under the age of 18 is taking notice of those rules yeah, I mean, it's funny because when I first started researching this, um, there was not a great deal of knowledge about that. And because of the differences with age of consent rights, you have these kids being like, but you can have sex at 16, but you can't mm. take a picture until you're 18 and blah, blah. So there was a lot of sort of lack of knowledge about that. Now, there are lots of cautionary tales that float around the peer group. You know, all young people know all oh, that boy who got cautioned by the police and this and that. So there are stories coming out and that awareness is starting to rise. The problem with that is that like anything, when you tell young people they're not allowed to do something, <laughs> you don't stop the behavior, you just push it underground <laughs> and yeah. kids get better at getting away with it. Mm. And, and I completely, I've had exactly the same conversations that you've had where by professionals, think well we can't educate or have any other different conversation we have to just say don't do it it's illegal and I completely get the pressures that they feel um around that um but yeah then it just means we've got a complete disconnect between right. what people are really getting up to and what we're able to support them with okay so- and I completely agree we just end up pushing it underground right mm. and they'll just do what they want mostly largely anyway when it comes yeah. to in particular when it comes to technology because they're so much better better than us at it so yeah and, and to them it's not a offline online thing if there's a contradiction between what you know if we're say giving them safe sex rse you know relationships and sex education that's about okay here's your contraceptive options here's this here's that but then whenever anything's digital it's no don't do it <laughs> and that that juxtaposition of okay you know sex and relationships can be this positive healthy thing but not if it's online like don't do anything online and that to a young person just completely doesn't mean anything that distinction mm. there is also a more sort of um nefarious sort of influence on this stuff about really emphasizing um sort of the law and punishment around some of the unethical behaviors that go on because say like groups of boys that I speak to in particular, they will say things like to me around, oh yeah, yeah, like you can't have a nude of a girl on your phone anymore. Like you can get done for having child porn and that. And they all get really like Mm. wound up on it. And they go, "Um, so I say, oh, what do you do? Do you like not engage in any of these behaviors anymore then? And they're like, oh no, no, no. Like if your mate's got a picture, like you definitely, he won't text it to you. He'll just show it to you on the phone because if he texts it to you, there's then the digital trail and we all get in trouble. So they've listened to this idea they can get punished and their their unethical behavior of privacy and consent and all of that is still mm. really bad, mm. but they're learning how to stay out of trouble. Right. So we, we, it's, it's not having a good impact, this mm. this legal kind of education that we're delivering on this at all. Okay. And and how, how how is the conversation with young boys around these topics? I mean, my goodness, it must be interesting at the least. 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, I love teaching, talking to teenage boys. I remember when I first started researching all this, they'd be like, uh, you know, say if I go into a school, whatever, and they'd be like, oh, the teenage boys, they won't talk to you. You know what boys are like. They just clam up and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> when you let teenage boys rip, you can't even get a word in. They just, they love it, you know? And there is, there's a lot of sort of banter and like masculine yeah. bravado type stuff that goes on in the group. But even just sort of letting that unfold, you can really start pinpointing some of their more like complex feelings that they've got and like the pressures that they experience. There's mm. a lot of performativity mm. among teenage boys um, and peer pressure and all of that. Um, and that probably masks a lot of more complex outlooks, I think. Actually. Yeah. 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 Okay. So can we just have a talk about how the life of a young boy slash young man would have been pre-internet compared to now? Um, obviously that's a massive that's a massive question but what I'm trying to say is can you talk to us a little bit about the influences that the connection of the internet has brought us in all its ways on sex and uh, the impressions it has on young boys yeah I mean obviously you tell me what was it like when you just had your brick phone (laughs) you know it, it just me and my friends laugh about it sometimes we're like oh my good to goodness when we started getting like really interested in girls you had the odd magazine that was floating around from from someone who nicked it from their parents yeah right or mm-hmm. or somebody had a videotape that was being handed around and that was like gold dust like we're talking like we're 14 right mm-hmm. then the internet comes and then all of a sudden you've got it on tap mm-hmm. so this is where i find it you know, um, scary, definitely actually is the right word to use. I was just about to use it fascinating, but actually it's scary because I feel like if you are a young 14 year old boy, you starting developing your hormones are through the roof Mm. and you've got this phone that is going to deliver everything you want, plus more things that you would have never imagined Mm. all accessible to you constantly. I mean, I, I can only think that's that's a bad thing for your brain yeah I mean it's tricky isn't it I think it goes back to sort of what what we were saying at the start about like some of the constraints within which um the adults in the room as it were are talking to kids about these topics because it's not the way we're sort of approaching it is as adults you know is not necessarily giving kids the tools that they need to navigate that really complex reality because yeah you're absolutely right that I suppose on one side of it, the intensity of the hormones, the the absolute sort of terror, the excitement about mm. even the idea of being in, mm. in the company of someone you fancy. I mean, those feelings, like, <laughs> yeah. that, that's there, right? Like it's yeah. always been there. Like I'm similar sort of age, I, I think to you with how you're saying when you got a mobile phone and stuff, yeah. absolutely. And I remember things like we got... You know, like MSN Messenger and all yeah. of that started going off at, at secondary school for me. And you'd have all your little rituals like, oh, you know, you log in and log off so that the little notification comes up and the yeah. guy fancy might notice that you've come up and all of this <laughs> nonsense. So all of that's always been there, that really like that adolescent like intensity of all of that stuff. But yeah, I think you're right that what the internet brings and particularly like the internet in your pocket. Like when I was younger, it was, you had 30 minutes a day. I had to swap it over with my brother. If right. I wanted to phone somebody, I'd have to get, <laughs> yeah. you know, all of that. Now it's 24 seven is it right there. And yeah, I mean, 
like the boys that I speak to, like pornography, say, which I guess is the real like thing, isn't it? That everyone's sort of worried about and what what that's doing, and and yeah, that that absolutely is there, and and um, yeah, you know, Pornhub and all of that, those spaces that we all kind of know about and freak out about, but also on a more sort of mundane level like it just being there on social media just this constant sort of barrage of of highly edited highly idealized depictions of bodies of relationships of all of this boys as well getting sent because it's interesting that you say like there's the things you want and then there's all of the rest of it and and yeah boys talk a lot about being sent stuff you know constantly getting sent links and they don't know and they click on it and it's like this porn thing or or whatever and they get added to groups and then it's all on there and there's a lot going on but I think what's tricky for boys is like how do they find their space within all of that because the narrative is that well you're a a teenage boy of course you want to watch porn that's like you're masculine you're this you're that and you know a lot of boys actually that I sit down and speak to feel very conflicted actually and, and experience a lot of ambivalence and this idea that something might be really exciting and enticing, but then half an hour later, you actually feel a bit gross. Right. About what you just watch like, but when you're watching it, you're sort of sucked in and sucked right. in. Like, and I try and talk to them about things around like the editing of porn and just the nature of the industry. I mean, like you're talking multi-billion dollar industry that knows exactly how to get your attention and draw you in. But to these boys, all their understanding is, oh, maybe there's something wrong with me. Mm. And it's like, are we not actually equipping them with any sort of critical awareness of how the industry operates? Like mm. we talk, it's all about shame. It's about you can get addicted. You're you're developing in this maladaptive way rather than being like, no, the way you're reacting to porn is exactly how a human being would react to this stuff, right? It's designed to suck you in and and make you kind of want more and more and like all of that kind of thing. And boys do it around performance. Like, like I was saying at the start, there's so much performativity in, in male peer groups and like watching porn with each other and sharing stuff around. There's a lot of social capital right. within male peer groups to be gained through doing that kind of stuff. So boys are like, they're trying to figure themselves out as individuals within sort of like a corporate landscape that's mm. totally exploitative, mm. within like a peer group landscape that's mm. all really full of pressure and expectation. And like, where does the individual get left within all of that? Wow. And then the teacher turns up and goes, oh, it's all illegal. You know, you could get addicted. And, <laughs> you know, if you watch porn, you might not get aroused in real life. <laughs> Is this really that helpful? I don't know. Okay, okay. So that's really, really interesting what you're saying. So we are, maybe the discussion around porn is incorrect that, mm. we're, that we're having. Maybe it's not, it's like, maybe it's almost like the drug conversation 20 years ago don't touch it you'll get addicted anyone that's involved in it is going to bring you down watch Mm -hmm. everything you do around it's like maybe maybe that's not the correct conversation around porn which actually is my i've written the odd post here saying like you know how dangerous is porn how addictive is porn is porn out to get you is porn um is porn driving your desires that aren't actually there pre before you watched it. Um, is it creating your desires? Is this un- is that the maybe that's the wrong conversation? Maybe we just have a conversation about porn for what it is. It's mm-hmm. an entertainment industry. Um, they they want to sell you stuff. 
they want to advertise stuff they're trying to make content that's absolutely gripping that makes you want to watch it again makes and, and we can just let the young people know that that's what it is it's not reality yeah yeah and I think there's a couple of really like yeah really key things there um to think about what you've just said like the first point about like desire is it sort of constructing desire is it all of this mm. And actually, then you could almost really step back from that and say, well, where do our desires even come from? Right. How do we figure out what we desire, what turns us on, what doesn't? Actually, there's loads of different sources of influence over that one, right? Is there like a genuine desire? Does that really exist? Or are we kind of piecing it together from a whole bunch of expectations mm. and messages? And like, what role does porn play within that? And this idea about it, yeah, not being real and not you know, being a sort of like fantasy and entertainment. And yeah, we can sort of critically deconstruct what is depicted as a fantasy. Absolutely. And I've spoken to boys about that. They're like, yeah, is it right though? That sort of like really rough, you know, almost like a sexual assault, really yeah. something yeah. is being depicted as fantasy. Like, what does that mean? And you mm. can have really interesting conversations with kids about that. But, you know, I think, you know, we don't, what's the woman, she said it ages ago, she said, we don't worry that kids are going to watch Fast and the Furious and then go out and drive like maniacs because we give them driving lessons and they know it's not real. <laughs> Almost, because we're not educating properly, wow. we give porn too much power. Wow. In fairness, boys do, they call me out on this. They go, all right then, if porn's not real, then what is? Because like, the question I often get from boys is like, do, you know, young boys, 13, 14 year olds, they're like, are girls like do girls actually find like xyz pleasurable that we've seen and i'm like hmm, no probably not maybe some of them do but don't take it as a given that they yeah. do you know, because no porn is depicting something that is often quite painful or whatever even if the girl's sort of acting like she likes it so definitely don't take anything as a given and these boys and they turn around and say, say things like but no one talks to us about what girls wow. find we don't get any sort of like educational guidance on this they go if the girl's going nuts on a porn film, then all we've got to go on is, yeah, she looks like she's having fun. No one, everyone's telling us what's not real. Everyone's telling us what's fake, what's just meant to be entertainment, but no one's telling us what is. Wow. And I was like, yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? We're giving too much power to porn. And it's because we don't want to have the opposite conversation, wow. right? It's a lot easier to say porn's addictive than it is to say, oh, okay, like this is what sex is like. This is how bodies might react and how things might feel, you know, because that's way more awkward. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, you know what? After, it's like the problems with us adults, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. Like it's, it's our, it's our fear of the subject of sex. It's like we behave like the children. Well, do you know what? It's funny, isn't it? Because we say all this stuff, don't we? Worry so much. What are kids doing on their phones? What are they doing at XYZ? Like, adults are not getting sex and relationships <laughs> right. You know, I mean, look at what the surveys show you, like the percentage of married couples that don't have sex mm. with each other. You know, all these issues that go on in relationships into adulthood. Like, this very notion that, like, you can sit down as this objective person with all mm. this knowledge and this mm. ability to guide the youth of today mm. into this healthy adult sexual experience or whatever. No, because we're all getting it wrong all the time, <laughs> aren't we? And and so I think we're, yeah, we almost need to reconceptualize what, what we even have to offer young people and what this wow. is actually meant to be about, right? Wow. <laughs> uh, so for all the parents that are listening to this, um, that's most that's a quite a large chunk of my audience mm. and they're worried um about uh their their son who's growing into a young man and how much porn he may be or maybe not watching or their sex life or anything to do with sex in general you got any advice 
for them <laughs> yeah do you know I so I always preface I'm asked this question all the time and I always preface with like I don't have my own children okay so I wouldn't dream of giving parenting advice out when I you know what I mean in terms of people like well lucky old you like you right don't. I've done work with parents I've done some research with parents where where they're like you're literally like you're trying to get dinner on the table you're trying to go to work and like now you've got to have these amazing conversations like at the drop of a hat whatever and I'm like yeah you know I don't know that life so any advice I give definitely um I I, I know my privilege as it were yes. in however that being said I think the the, the couple of things I, I tend to say is like look as parents like first take the pressure off of yourself like kids do not want whether it's a parent a teacher or whoever to be able to solve all this for them and to be like the perfect human being with all of this they know that actually the conversations they appreciate having the most is those ones of like oh it is actually a bit messy and complicated isn't it actually <laughs> we all struggle with this and we all don't really know like how we feel and what's right and wrong or whatever they want that two-way conversation and actually leaving the conversation thinking oh do you know what actually I'm I'm even a bit less unsure you know I'm more unsure about this than I was when I went in that's not actually a problem like mm. you're just raising that ability to self-reflect and and critical kind of consciousness around stuff and what I tend to do say with boys around that I say look if you're confused maybe the, if you're heterosexual you know or, or not like what whoever your partner is maybe so is your partner so <laughs> if you're confused by what a girl or another boy might be doing well maybe think they probably might be feeling like you mm -hmm. so actually can we start showing empathy for each other and whatever so i don't think we should be frightened of conversations where there is no easy answer and we don't all really know how we think and feel i think as parents the uh, it's two roles that you play really isn't it in anything with parenting but but i think including with the, in this field one you're you're socializing a set of values right you know porn will change the what's going on in the world will change and develop but what you are trying to impart to your child is a set of values and a mm -hmm. way of treating people and like that underpinning everything right and like you can role model that and and argue for that in the way that you speak you know um and I think creating open lines of dialogue, you're never going to solve everything. As we've spoke about at the beginning, kids are, you can tell them something's dangerous. You can say whatever. They're probably going to go off and experiment. Have you created an open line of dialogue? Mm -hmm. You might not have been able to figure out anything for them on that one day, but they know, oh yeah, mom, dad, there's someone who I can kind of chat with if it all goes wrong, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think it's about looking at What's your goal of the conversation? I know some parents I speak to, they're like, how do I stop my son watching porn? And I'm like, I don't know, actually, how you'd stop anybody from watching porn. Mm. I mean, you can lock them in their room and don't give them any devices and don't mm. let them spend any time with anyone else that has any devices. I mean, maybe <laughs> then that'll work, but you're probably going to be damaging them even more than like, you know, what? you know, it's how do we strengthen the ability to have resilience in the world as it is? Mm. And that is, you know, it's ongoing conversations, isn't it? Okay, brilliant. And I take a lot away from that in particular when I um, present to teenagers and I have the Q&A session, which is the second half of my presentation. And um, yeah, I'm always trying to find the best ways to interact with those 15-year-olds, those 16-year-olds on, on these topics. And what I took away from what you're saying is just talk to them on a level, mm. not not like you're up here and they're down here and you've got it all solved. Because as you very rightly said, we ain't got anything solved for ourselves. Yeah. So yeah. why are we, you know, yes, we want to give advice and give our life experience. But mm. I, I think we jump to 
me included, jump to talking to young people like we've got the solution, we've got it solved, we're doing it ourselves. Listen to me, and, and, and that doesn't work. Like when I was fifteen, that didn't work when adults um, used to speak to me like that. So. Um, I take a lot away from... Uh, it's very alienating. Saying. And kids as well. Like, something that... Um, like I, just, I finished a project recently on, um, like, how young people felt affected by lockdown in their relationships. And something that came out quite strong was, like, they actually really want to go through a learning process. They don't want to be told at 15 oh yeah, this is what you've got to think and feel, like take all my wisdom as the old adult. They want to go through a journey themselves. They want to have different experiences. They want to see stuff going on and they want to figure out for themselves what they think and feel. Wow. And they don't want an answer yet. They know mm. at 15, a bunch of stuff is going to carry on happening to them and they want to be able to go through that, but they want to go through it in a way where they can kind of figure out right like when's something getting really dodgy like where can I go for help like what do I do if I'm feeling a bit confused you know they they but they want their own life they want to build their own wisdom wow. right yeah. and we know don't we like uh, well I'm 36 okay so like my mum when she was 36 yeah there's stuff that we now can talk about in a different way but I'm right. definitely a different 36 year old than who she was mm. I had to go through my journey right mm. like she went through hers and mm. I think it's about trying to equip people to to do that in a safe and healthy way and respectful for other people. Mm. You know, often with kids, we talk to them about like, don't get into trouble yourself. Don't, you know, worry about your own self. But actually it's like, well, how do we treat other people? You know, what does it mean to go through that journey in a way that's respectful to others and all the rest of it? I also would say on that, though, it doesn't mean we can never like put in our two pence worth you know <laughs> what I tend to do like say yeah you sit down with all these kids you know they're talking about how they feel and it's all bouncing around and all of that and you listen and you sort of ask questions take an interest and then what I sort of try and do at the end is go all right like I've heard a lot that you've all said like a few things are you know standing out to me and I sort of summarize it and I go do you want to know like what I think about some of what you've said <laughs> and I say it in a bit of a jokey way and they're like all right then yeah tell us and I'm like well I'm getting that you're sort of struggling with this. So I understand why you might be doing X, Y, Z, say. Um, but you know what? I think you might want to think about that a bit differently. Like maybe actually that isn't really the solution to your problems or whatever. So you can start, you can feed it in. You can still say what you think, but you've done it in that. So it sounds a bit cringy, but like active listening style, you know, right. you've given them the floor, you've, you've, you've validated them. And then you can go, let me do my adult bit and tell you what I think, right. you know, because kids then are receptive to it. It's like anyone, like I want advice from people sometimes, but you don't want it, you know, in the first 30 seconds before you've even really got out what you think, right? And lectured to you. Yeah, exactly. Right. Who wants that? And it's like we say, don't we? We go, oh, my teenager won't talk to me about porn or sex or whatever. And it's like, yeah, because who would? Like, if someone came <laughs> up to you and go, tell me about your porn habits, I'd be like, uh, no. <laughs> I mean, like going back to that thing in relationships, like, it's hard enough talking to my own husband about <laughs> sex and intimacy, right? Like, like I don't really want to be talking about it with anyone else, right? It is difficult. Kids aren't weird for clamming up in these right. conversations. Yeah. Like, it's, it's totally understandable. It's almost <laughs> like you want to start the conversation with them saying like, uh, trust me, I find this as, as equally as awkward as you do. Mm -hmm. Just to let them know you are on their level. You aren't yeah. some kind of master at this at all. Exactly. Um, so you speak to young people a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, in schools or yeah schools youth clubs um you know anywhere really that, that you'll find them. <laughs> yeah. How, um, how have you how have you arrived at this? 
like is this part of your job or this is part of your interest or yeah. can you tell us a bit more yeah, about that so sort of as a lecturer at university I, I not to kind of bore you about university no, please. contracts or anything oh. but yeah yeah <laughs> Very fascinating stuff um you can do obviously there's teaching as part of your role um but you are meant to have your own sort of research profile so um I'm a lecturer in criminology and I do like, so my research focuses on um, obviously all this stuff to sex and relationships among young people, but like where it crosses into sort of things that might become harmful or abusive or, or whatever, and how we should um, attempt to deal with that. So as well as teaching about things, I'll also go out and do my own research. And that's where it's all basically sitting down and talking to kids. Mm, um, okay. It's funny, really. You think it's not what you think, is it, when you think of like research in a university? But it honestly is. <laughs> but, but that's where the research yeah. is, isn't it? With the young people that yeah. what you're what you're researching is happening to. Yeah, exactly. And you know, um, that's where I'm always a bit mindful. You know, I, I I have I have got all my views as as I've just sort of outlined them all here. But I do have a great deal of sympathy with parents, teachers, youth workers, all these people because when you're a researcher, you can go in and have these sort of off the record conversations right. that can be quite candid and all the rest of it, um, because it's all in the the service of generating knowledge and all of this kind of stuff. And there are, you know, ethical spaces in which you can talk about things that are potentially illegal and all of that, because you have to justify it in the sense that, you know, talking to thing to people about things that are potentially legal is important because we've got to understand what's going on for them. So as a researcher, you do have quite a bit of freedom, but obviously, yeah, teachers, youth workers and all the rest of it have got a completely different relationship and set of stipulations. I mean, youth workers seem to have a little bit more kind of flexibility in the sort of youth work tradition. I mean, teachers, bless them. I, I don't know how they do it, really, um, yeah. trying to deal with all this stuff in schools. I, I have a great deal of sympathy for what they're trying to achieve, right? Yeah. Um, it is, it's, it is hard. And and um, I always like to shout out teachers because I don't think we give them um, enough credit for the job that they do. Um, it must be so tough um, delivering these syllabuses no. and you can't break away from like like the, the the straight and narrow. You've got all of these rules like, yeah, it must be incredibly, incredibly difficult. Um, could you talk a little bit? You mentioned a bit it's about not like they've got the time and the resources. Right. 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 Yeah, and, no, sorry, you can go on. Yeah. They're jam-packed. I think we got a slight delay because we got a touch of a connection problem, but we'll keep rolling, right? Oh. Yeah. Um, I think it's my side. But it should it should re Okay, no, you're sounding okay to me. Should now, yeah. rejig itself. Um mm -hmm. okay, so you mentioned about harmful sexual behaviors. Um mm -hmm. are you doing some work around that? is that with still with the younger mm -hmm. boys? Yeah, yeah. So doing a whole bunch of stuff on that. I've been working with the Department for Education recently about, you know, the whole post everyone's invited, you know, all this stuff around this problem within schools of harmful sexual behavior between young people whether it be sort of like that routine sexual harassment type catcalling in the corridors up all the way up to you know really sort of serious non-consensual stuff that goes on um between kids and and yeah so working a bit with the department for education to figure you know to help them with how they're sort of the policy and practice they're putting out for schools on this but also yeah doing some stuff with young people about okay like what is it that you see as the problem and how how can we actually deal with this in a in an effective way? Because, you know, God, I mean, just the, the systems and cultures within schools and all the rest of it, it's so complex what actually sits underneath um, some of these behaviours and what needs to be 
resolved you know okay. um so yeah that's all still ongoing yeah absolutely okay uh, this is this is a massive area of interest for me when it comes to um the discussion around harmful sexual behaviors um and uh how we're talking to young people about crimes of a sexual nature um and who's doing them why they're doing them uh what to do if you feel tempted to carry out a crime of of this nature um what to do if you have committed a crime of this nature what to do if a crime of this nature has been committed on you uh this this whole type of discussion because i always feel like it's um the general society are like oh, that kind of thing doesn't happen around here or my son would never do something mm. like that or my daughter that would not happen to my daughter she is um aware or she knows the dangerous situations like all of that kind of um outdated view um how, mm. can you can you speak to us a little bit about how the young people is it boys predominantly that you speak to boys speak and to girls? girls yeah i do oh, okay. speak to both sides yeah okay and, and everything you... in between and all that yeah <laughs> okay so can yep. you tell can you tell us how they are talking about harmful sexual behaviors or how that conversation goes yeah sure and I, I think it's really interesting around and I've absolutely come across the same thing a very kind of individualized way of looking at this like oh individually my child or this child is either high or low risk for this or whatever and it's all kind of attributed to that individual um, when really like what I'm really trying to push for along with others that I'm doing work in this area with is really looking at this as a cultural problem so that normalized patterns of behavior because I think it's really interesting what you say about sort of recognizing like your propensity to do something or, or what you would do if something happened to you and all the rest of it well so much of this is so deeply ingrained and normalized within like peer culture and arguably adult culture as well this idea of you know girls talking about non-consensual sexual behaviors all across the continuum of of of, of the acts uh, you know themselves as just being, yeah, just part and parcel of life. Yeah, of course you've got, you get harassed. Of course you get touched when you don't want to be. Of course, sometimes you agree to have sex when you don't want to. That's mm. just what life is like. And things are so deeply normalised and the sort of um, axes of blame and responsibility and even recognising that something abusive has happened is so deeply rooted and it's affecting how all young people are developing in terms of their expectations of sex and relationships. So, yeah, you know, I speak to like thinking of the teenage boys. You know, most teenage boys that I speak to will, on the face of it, say this is not something I'd want to do to a girl. You know, I want to have nice, happy relationships and all the rest of it. They're not going out wanting to attack girls or whatever. No. But they're saying that they just don't really know whether they're coming or going. They don't know how to figure out how girls feel. They don't know how to ne negotiate consent. They don't know how to deal with the pressures they experience in their own peer group to have sex. And even when they don't want to, because they were, you know, they, both boys and girls will speak to me in quite a nuanced way that very easily two people could be in a bedroom together and have sex, but neither of them huh. really actually wanted to. And they're both feeling pressures and expectations. Right. And so there's something very cultural happening there. And I think it goes beyond like, oh yeah, my child wouldn't do that. Mm. Yeah, maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't, but actually there's a bigger conversation to be had here about how, how young people are relating to each other and what their expectations are. And I think on the side then of what people then do when something happens, that's a very cultural thing as well. I mean, girls will say, 
repeatedly to me every single group of girls I swear that I've sat down with will say to me yeah you know boys do stuff and we don't really like it but we wouldn't report it and I'm or, or even call it out and I'm like oh why if you know it's wrong and they go oh god because then you just look up tight and all those that boy all his mates will be like oh why have you got my mate in trouble and then none of the guys will like you and blah 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 and so they know it's wrong but they they don't feel that they can do anything about it. So again, that's a cultural thing, right? And so uh, there's a lot of um, displays of resilience and, oh yeah, I just ignore it and I just move on. Uh, you know, the uh, some of the image-based sexual abuse, you know, being sent unwanted like dick pics and all of that, very prevalent for teenage girls. And they're like, oh yeah, you just delete it and you just forget about it. Mm. And I, I'm not really possibly convinced at those kind of responses. Mm. So we might say, oh, someone's really resilient, but at what cost? There's a lot of normalized abuse going on mm. that I, I think we need to really challenge and, and identify, right? Yeah. So I was um in um a coffee shop a few months ago and um I was waiting for a meeting and there was uh, a couple of girls who were sitting in a table next to me. They were very young. Um they looked, I don't know, maybe 17 or 18. And um, a, a man approached them who definitely wasn't with them and said something to them. And it all looked a bit shady. He walked away and I was so curious what that was about. And I said to the two girls, I said, um, sorry to interrupt you. Um, was Did you know that guy? And they said, no. I said, oh, what did he want? And and they said, um, he's um, a scouter for models for H&M. I'm right? sure he is. I, I'm sure <laughs> yeah. he is. Right. And um, yeah. so I said, oh, that's a bit weird. And sh they were like, oh, yeah, we know he's not actually. He approached us at the station as well. So I was like, oh, okay. So I then went on to say to them, oh, my goodness, like your lives as young girls in person, in, in, in reality, in real life and online must be so crazy that the experience that you're having and they said yeah then we talked about online they were like we get messages every day we get dms every day through instagram mm -hmm. right yeah. older men or fake profiles yeah. and then very interestingly what you said at the very start of this conversation about um young boys being targeted with adverts porn adverts mm -hmm. um hot model adverts um because i've received those on instagram before you know where it's a link to something you press the link and it takes you to something completely different so it's not just the girls yeah. that are having a bad experience boys are having a bad experience it seems to always be connected to sex in some way or, or sexual mm -hmm. desire in some way and um, you know, I've just, I'm just learning so much from you because it's like, well, who, who's having the actual real conversations with these young people, yeah. you know, to say, look, we understand that this is a, that is a shitty time for you. Like we mm -hmm. understand that is not very nice. Being sent dick pics, unwanted dick pics cannot mm -hmm. be a great experience. No. And it's influencing, you know, like we were sort of saying about the boys earlier, like how are they figuring themselves out within all of these competing landscapes? And I think exactly what you're sort of saying about the girls, because, yeah, the story you've heard, yeah, this this expectation almost of being objectified and sexualized by older guys often online and offline. And what does that do when you as a girl, young woman is trying to figure out your changing body, your feelings and, you know, and all of this, like, where do you sit within the middle of all of that? Mm. And I think sometimes there is still sort of shame and stigma that circulates around 
women's bodies and sexuality you know girls are very conscious of being slut shamed and like they're of being policed for what they wear you know and school uniform policies and all of this kind of stuff and there's a lot of resentment that they feel that they are being held responsible for often the harassing behaviors hmm. of grown men you know they really hmm. uh, but there are i'm shocked at the number of times i have heard from girls that they are told by teachers in school don't roll your skirts up. It's distracting to the <laughs> boys and the male teachers. You know, so uniform policy is not just being implemented in that way, but but in that language mm. of, of of real victim blaming and, and and really inappropriate comments about teenage girls. And you think, well, why are they being held responsible for this? So so it's part of a real pattern um, of experience, I think, across adolescence for girls and. You know, in their peer group, like I say, lots of slut shaming, lots of stigma, lots of policing around sort of, yeah, you want a boyfriend and boys want you to have sex. But then if you have sex, then maybe <laughs> they'll reject you and all this. So they're navigating all of this stuff. Right. And I think, yeah, where are we sitting down going, OK, how does it feel to have to deal with all of that? Mm. Like, what's that actually like? And this binary idea of like risk and vulnerability and the good and the bad girls and, and all of this, I, th I think really simplifies how complex the feelings are around this mm. right because yeah you know parents teach they might oh not not these girls or whatever but they are they 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 just by occupying public space they are going to have these experiences right, right? right. it yeah. doesn't matter how level-headed they are what a good head on their shoulders they've got none of that matters just mm. existing is, mm. <laughs> is enough to be affected right yeah um, yeah it's it's yeah. Um, it's so yeah, the whole, the whole, this whole thing for me, I, I start to feel frustrated that young people go through that. I knew, I, I know now when you talk about it and I look back at me at 15 or 17, it's like, I was going through that as well, internet or no internet. Like it's, it's like the whole confusion or trying to find yourself or trying to understand the complexities of, of sex is, is as you're growing up is, is, is huge. Yeah. Um, can I ask like, what are the aims of your work moving forward? And like, what is it? What is it that you would like to achieve or what direction are you trying to push things in? Yeah, I mean, what I what I try to think about and what I like with each bit of sort of work I do is like, how can we encourage a direction towards ethical and positive sexual cultures and relationships with each other? So often, like, we think that the solution, say, to like, what we're seeing is called harmful sexual behavior you know oh we go in we educate boys about consent and we we tell people about the law and we do this and that and i get i absolutely agree that there is a need to raise awareness around what the laws of this country tell you about your rights and your responsibilities like that's such an important part of being a citizen but if we think say about like sexual citizenship like what does it really mean to be a sexual citizen like what does it mean to interact sort of positively and ethically like with ourselves with each other and like how can we move those relations between us all into a more sort of positive space I, I mean sex positivity I know it's like an overused expression and it's got its issues but but you know I think it's really sad actually when say like when I you know heterosexual teenagers particularly do see the opposite sex as almost not the enemy but definitely mm. a source of risk mm. like boys will say girls you know consent I could get arrested there could be a false accusation of rape my life could be ruined by girls girls on the other hand are like oh yeah of course boys don't really care about you and are going to exploit you and are going to do x y and z and I'm like that is so sad right. actually that right. that's what we're sort of 
for you know intentionally otherwise and what i'm really interested in understanding is like how can we create a culture how can we create relationships between people where you don't see each other in <laughs> terms of risk and harm and that because i said to a girl I, I remember asking a girl the other day um about how to sort of because she wasn't sure what she wanted out of something or whatever and i said oh would you would you talk to your boyfriend about what you want and like your confusions and stuff and she was like oh my god no i wouldn't talk to him about it <laughs> And I was like, oh, who would you talk to? And she's like, oh, maybe my mates or something. And I was like, wow, like, if you're into personal relationships, like your intimate relationships are not being experienced as a place of trust and safety mm. and openness, mm. how can we get you to that point? Because, mm. because if we do change relationships in that direction, if that's what we're saying, then the grounds for exploiting people like disappear don't they because mm. you wouldn't want to do that to someone you genuinely love right look you know the boys talking about consent they they, they say they don't want to get arrested and i'm like okay but like what about violating somebody like where does that factor in <laughs> right. is it just what you can get away with right and the problem with our messaging is that it is getting a little bit well what can i get away if i get kids up like boys will say to me like what am i allowed to do like what when do i when will i get in trouble huh. and i'm like what is that how we want to approach sex like what can we get away with and like i don't know it's very disturbing to me so yeah with all my work i'm like what are the conditions for delivering sort of educational messaging in a different sort of way okay so when we say when we've got young teenage boys and their concern is what can i do that doesn't get me in trouble or or like you say what 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 can i do um what can i do that's okay what can i do that's within the rules it's not that the, the person who they're actually having sex with is not in that in, in those sentences the the mm. the well-being or the pleasure or the 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 care or support for the person who they're having sex with is not in that con, in in mm. their primary concern their primary concern is what can i do that I find exciting that's within the rules what will I get and, and what will what will I do that I could get arrested for it's yeah. it's like you've got two individual people having mm. sex with each other worried about what they can and can't do to each yeah. other instead of just taking care of the other person each other and finding yourself yeah through that relationship like absolute that's entirely what they're doing because it's like we talk, I've, I've spoken to boys about um, like this false accusation thing and like they'll say things like, oh, well, sometimes girls change their mind. Like they say they agreed something and then they don't find it very pleasant. And then they say, oh, actually, I didn't really want that. Mm. And I'm like, oh, OK, like, fine. Like, obviously, no, no one wants to get arrested. Like in an ideal way, like you'd be able to sort of negotiate, like navigate that with each other. Like we all try out things and like things or not or whatever. And I said, like, what would you like that situation to be like in an ideal world? And they're like, oh, well, the thing is, like, if the girl agreed to it and then she didn't like it, well, that's her problem, isn't it? Like, that's not my fault. And I'm like, oh, God, you're really stuck in this blame and fault yeah. and responsibility blame. Exactly. Like, not care and like, oh, how do we deal with that situation? It's not that one of you's a perpetrator. It's <laughs> just, yeah, that was a situation that you might need to sort of figure out together, like how that both made you feel. But because we've made these interactions so fraught, you know, we, we've probably quite well-meaning but we've said look things can go wrong the law says this blah 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 we've almost like terrified these kids mm. a little bit as to mm. as to where it can go and we've closed down that more like loving mutual supportive thing and how they can get that from their relationship with each other like consent and being confused about how you feel and experiences of pressure how actually can your 
relationship be a way of like working some of that out and being mm. honest about how you feel and all of that right mm. like you, you can't be a mind reader you don't always know yes. what you both think and feel but like talk to each other yes. about it you know yeah. so the the initial response that we started with that seems like a um the whole thing of like what can I do that I won't get in trouble for? That's almost like a fear response. It feels mm-hmm. like a fear response to the rules and what people may say and what you could be accused of or um, yeah. Okay. It's, it's just so interesting. I, I just want to make so much content around these things. I feel like there's, there's not enough good examples for young teenagers growing up. Um, and I wonder what you think the role of film music uh, is playing in all of this, like the entertainment industry that is heavy, heavily sex- sexualized lyrics in songs, um, film scenes, etc. Yeah, I mean, all of that in a way is um, putting up another sort of impression of how things should be, shouldn't yeah. they? Because if you think about like the law and rules, even thinking about that in terms of relationships, you yes, we do need a legal structure there, but the law cannot arbitrate over all forms of sexual interaction and intimacy, right? It's mm. just not going to ever capture the nuances of humanity, right, when it comes to relationships. It's there as a sort of when something goes wrong in a, in a certain way that, that needs to be dealt with. It doesn't give us any other answers. And likewise, I think with films, music, all of that, that's depicting something isn't it that's depicting an impression of a way things could be Mm. which could be true which could have some validity to it but it's never going to give all the answers right Mm. i talk to kids about the ecosystem of sexual and relational life right where you're almost piecing a bit from everywhere you know what the law kind of says you know what you see in your peer group you know what sort of different media depicts about things you know okay. what you carry up in front of you where okay. are you within all of that like okay. where, what are you taking from everything and how are you moving around the bases i do think film and music and art forms of any kind when done to inspire a more nuanced and complex discussion I think can actually be a really powerful depiction actually Mm. and I think kids can react quite well to that you know when people have put up like plays about things or that sort of stuff and then you can really break it down right I think they hold a lot of promise in a positive sense (laughs) yes and I um since I started all of this I uh, want to continue making films and animations and using photography to kind of make this mm. um to 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 communicate this topic not in a in a lecture style like like that 15 year olds or 17 year olds will be so gripped to i mean we're all gripped to story we're all gripped to film mm. uh, we're all gripped to music like everyone is gripped to those things and so if i can find out clever ways of capturing the imagination of young people whilst telling them a story and giving them another portraying that portraying another image of mm. sex to them to add to their ecosystem yeah yeah exactly exactly like um depicting it you know what what i was saying before like earlier that idea that like kids do want to see something real they don't Mm. want this abstract lecture that like actually portraying something and yeah portraying something different right Mm. because we all have multiple selves don't we we have the self when we're alone we have the self when we're like with a partner and feeling really freaked out or whatever and then we've got the self when we're in a big peer group or whatever and there's all this different stuff and like how can we sort of make sense of all of that right And yeah. then it's about emotional intelligence, isn't it? Emotional literacy, all of that kind of thing, right? 
Yeah, yeah and, and the I more just diversity think diversity that's up there, I think the better. Yeah, and I think I think this is just hugely, hugely important. The the longer I do this work and the more I start understanding about offenders um who are committing the crimes. Um, let's just take the adults that are committing the crimes um, of a sexual nature. And I start trying to understand um, their what's happened in their lives and what they've done in their lives to end up in that position. I feel like a good solid foundation as you are developing as a young person about sex and understanding the variety of ways it can be approached mm -hmm. and how safe it can be and how um, connecting it can be and how, how you can really take care of each other uh, in the process and also mm -hmm. pleasure each other. Cause mm -hmm. that's the goal, right? Yeah. And just to, to set like great foundations for that instead of only being, let's just take a young boy, only being a young boy consuming like incredible amounts of porn m could be every day. Mm. And that algorithm and that homepage dragging you into different, different areas of porn and possibly fabricating your desire. And then mm. watching films and watching very aggressive music lyrics and, and like, uh, nobody ever talking to you person on person about um, sex in, in any of its ways. I just feel like that's, just, that's a bad foundation um, mm -hmm. for sex. And I, I'm going to guess here that a lot of people that are like continually offending um, sexually, whether that be online or in person, just don't have good foundation. I know it's a lot more mm -hmm. complicated than that. Right. But I feel like one of the ingredients is the, as generations, I you know, like even my generation, we never had a good foundation for for the talk uh, conversation around sex, and I maybe it's still not a good foundation being taught at the moment, and I think it's causing a lot of problems. Yeah, do you not know? No, and I'm totally inspired by everything that you say because yeah, I really think you're getting it. Like, well, um, who knows if you're getting it right? But like for me, yeah. it so resonates with everything I'm trying to do because yeah, it is. It's about building the foundations for something and yeah, we can kind of malign all these influences that are out there that are having a really powerful effect on people. And or we could say, okay, but what would healthy, positive, strong foundations right. look like, right? What, what are we trying to look at here? And yeah, absolutely this idea of safety and pleasure and what it means um, to have pleasurable and fulfilling experiences whilst doing it safely, but also recognising the space for like risk and transgression and pushing boundaries and what it looks like to do that in a in a safe space and 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 to really sort of engage with all those sort of complexities of desire and arousal and why people even have sex. I mean, what I think is so you know incredible to do with young people is is even just start the conversation of like why do people even have sex? Like why do we even have relationships? Yeah, like why does brilliant. it matter? What's brilliant. the point? Why are we all even here? And then brilliant. from then going on and being like, okay, what are we trying to achieve? Right. Yeah. And, and and how do we sort of marry all that up? And, and to what extent do those reasons and, and motivations that we're bringing to the table, do they increase or decrease the likelihood that we might do something safe and fulfilling here for mm. the young person? Mm. If you're coming in as like a young lad worrying about what your mates think and all the rest of it, to what extent are you going to really be in a space to mm. be able to talk with that girl? Yeah. You know, and like let's start unpicking it a little bit, right? So we can be a bit more self-aware. Mm. And a bit more empathetic yes. to each other, right? 
yeah good good sex or whatever i mean you you need empathy you need perspective taking right Mm -hmm. otherwise it's not going to happen so um it's a really important quite a skill to take isn't it yeah it's incredible everything you're saying is incredible um emily i am wondering um would it ever be possible for me to come and sit in in one of your discussions yeah that would be so cool oh my goodness yes I mean I I would love to do that I'm happy to travel like I I just feel like I'd love to see the way that you're talking to to these young people and just see how the conversation is unfolding um you know if I could ever if it would ever be a possibility I would love um please oh um, that would be amazing no absolutely my pleasure to be able to to be able to do that um Mm -hmm. it's been incredible to talk with you um time has absolutely flown and I'm pretty (laughs) sure we have so much more to talk about um but I'm capping these at an hour just for the moment um and and I'd love to just as I mentioned just stay connected have more of these conversations because one of the things that I want to do during my presentation um after I've got taken the young people through my storytelling I want to have so much to offer in the Q&A discussion and I want to be so equipped with connecting with young people in 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 a way that they relate to and leave a lasting Mm -hmm. impression so um to to learn from your work would be incredible yeah no and likewise yeah it will be like it's been a great conversation and yeah like you say we could talk forever couldn't we and yeah Yeah. no I really want to hear more about what you do and see how that all unfolds 100% it sounds absolutely like what we need so yeah thank you so much for having me yes brilliant Emma and just before we finish um do you have a website or to direct anybody to anything yeah, yeah. So I mean, I have my sort of like main website that like links to everything that I do. So yes. I don't do I just share that with Please. you? Yeah, yeah. Please just so, tell us what it is. And I'll put the notes in the show notes as well. Oh, okay, cool. So best thing to do, actually, we just Google Surrey University and like my name, Emily Setti, and then you'll get to my page. I am on Twitter as well. So I post about everything that I'm up to there. It's just all my name is my yeah. handle. Brilliant. (laughs) We'll put those notes in the in the show notes as well so people can find your work. Emily, thank you so much. No, it's been my pleasure. Honestly, love it. Yeah. Thank Thank you you. for getting in touch. And yeah, speak soon, I'm sure. (laughs)